But the second one, he, he warns them against, which is the focus of today's message, is to guard against profanity and fornication. The opposite of holiness is profanity. Because to be holy means to be set apart for God. So when he says pursue holiness, he says pursue a life that sets you apart for God. And the opposite, he says guard against fornication and profanity. I'll explain why he uses those terms in a bit. But it is at this point when he gives this warning that he draws us into the story of Jacob and Esau. When he says guard against profanity and fornication, he draws us into the story of Jacob and Esau. He says, for lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. You see, the author of Hebrews, because he's writing to a Jewish audience, he's taking for granted that they know the story. But I will not take for granted that you know the story, right? <laughs> In Genesis chapter 26, we read a story, uh, Genesis chapter 25, we read the story of Jacob and Esau. So you see, the, 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 the way the, the words are used, the blessing and the birthright, the blessing and the birthright. In Genesis chapter 25, we read a story of how Esau sells his birthright. But to understand the implication of what Esau did, you must understand the, validity, the value of the blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says that I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you and I would, um, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So now Abraham on the face of the earth is distinct from every human being because he's carrying something that others don't. Because in Genesis chapter 1, when God blessed humanity, we played the fool and the curse came on us. Then God uh, called out Noah, Noah too messed up, and now the rest of humanity is messing up along the line. So humanity is working under the curse of sin and death, but there is one person who God has come to go to Esau. And it is not just any blessing at all. We are talking about that specific blessing. And this is why, if you, if you know the story, when after Esau had, had sold his birthright and he came to the father, and he says that his brother has stolen his blessing, he asked the father, is there not any other blessing that you can bless me with? And Isaac said to him, I have blessed him and he will be blessed. Because if a blessing was just proclaiming something, then Isaac could have blessed him after Jacob. But after Jacob had taken the blessing, he says there is nothing left for you. Because Esau knows that the blessing he's asking for is not just any ordinary blessing. It is what God gave Abraham that has been passed down. But when it got to him, he missed it. What happened? And Esau missed the blessing. Let's read um, Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Now Jacob cooked the stew. And Esau came in from the field. And he was weary. And the Bible is yours. I want you to highlight the word weary or underline it. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. The word has repeated itself again. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright 
to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he drank and ate and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Hallelujah. Isaac is 70 years when the twins are born to him. He has Esau firstborn, Jacob the secondborn. Esau is a hunter, skilled hunter of the field. Jacob is one who tends to flocks. Esau has gone hunting all day long and he has caught nothing. He comes home and he is hungry, he is tired, he is weary. The first person he meets is his brother. And he says, give me something to eat for I am weary. There are three lessons. I'll give you the bullet points, then I'll break everything down. The first thing you need to guard, with the, the three practical lessons we need to learn from this Jacob and Esau story. Number one, watch your circle. Number two, watch your appetite. Number three, watch your value system. If you want to maintain your blessing, number one, watch your circle. Number two, watch your appetites. Number three, watch your value system. So we'll take number one. Watch your circle. What do I mean by this? Be intentional about the people you keep around. In life, there are two groups of people that will always be around you. There are the givers and there are the takers. The givers are the people who pour into your life so that you'll be able to get to where God has called you to and be able to achieve the thing that God has set apart for you. Those are who we call the givers. Hallelujah. The givers are those who always take their time to make sure that you are able to achieve God's set agenda for your life. The unfortunate thing is that aside givers, life is full of takers. These are the people who are always in transaction mode. They are only with you based on what they can get from you. And war betides you in life. If in the day of your struggle, in the day where you need help the most, the person around you is a taker. Right? Because Esau has come from the field. He is weary. You see, in the Bible, whenever you see two words occurring in close proximity to each other, it is linking you or the Bible is trying, you know, in those days when they were writing, they didn't have terms, like, they didn't have uh, tools like um, bold, underline, italics to draw your attention to the, the phrase. So one of the ways they draw your attention to something is that they repeat the word in close proximity. So one of the key things you must understand in this text is that you must watch out for the fact that Esau was tired. He was weary. He was weak. He needed help. But the problem was that when he needed help, the one around him was a taker. Jacob. In life, if the people around you are Jacob's, you are in trouble. Because when you need help the most, they are in transaction mode. It's like, what can I get from this guy? Bible says, a brother is born for adversity. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But when this guy's brother needed help, he was there for what he wanted. To sell to me your birthright. Some of us, we need to be very careful of the people we keep around us. You see, the annoying thing about takers is that sometimes a taker acts like a giver, but he is taking from you. So they can even enable you to do the things you want to do, but they are not there for your interest. Esau was hungry. Jacob pretended like, oh, I, I am interested in giving you the food. I will give you food. But you have to do something for me first. 
Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. See, we take friendship for granted, but it is friends that will destroy you. Who you keep around you, one of the things that as a believer, you must be very intentional about is those you keep in your inner circle. Those who speak directly into your ears when you have problems, when you are weak, when you are weary. When you are weak and weary, you need friends that can pick you up. A friend that can look at you in the face and tell you that what you are about to do or what you are trying to do is stupid. You see, it looks as though they are taking something, but they are actually pouring into your life. One of my closest friends, he's in Ghana, um, uh, Apreku. The reason why he was, he was just a nominal friend, the reason why he became my closest friend is that there was a time in my life where I was making a mistake. People were around gossiping about me. He's the only one that walked up to me and said that you are playing the fool, sort it out. And this guy, I've held him close to me more than any other human being. On my wedding day, he was my best man. Because when people were afraid to tell me the truth, and they would rather gossip and speak behind me, this guy was able to walk up to me and tell me the best one, sort it out. And some of you, you need to be intentional. To, from today, you need to curate your close circle. Some of you, you allow anybody, anybody at all, that you call them friend. They will kill you. The Bible tells us about the story of Amnon and, and uh, Absalom, David's children. Amnon was David's firstborn. David's firstborn is Amnon. If by law of, of uh, primogeniture, anybody qualified for the throne, it was Amnon. But what happened to Amnon? Amnon one day had bad appetites. And his friend, Jonadab, it's, it's, it's interesting that the bad friends, their names start with J. Jacob and Jonadab. Jonadab goes to Amnon and tells Amnon, why? because Amnon is craving after his sister, Tamar, Absalom's sister. Different mother, same father. He's lasting after his sister. And Jonadab came and saw Amnon, he realized that Amnon is not under good condition. He said, what is wrong? He says, oh, it is Tama, my sister. I said, oh, is it Tama? Only Tama. I can give you ideas. See, when you have friends who give you ideas to sin, they are killing you, but you don't know. It was when Amnon listened to the advice of Jonadab, he was able to lure his sister in, rape his sister, and then let her go. But what happened was that even though the matter was brushed under the rug by their father David, Absalom kept it in his heart. And Absalom one day sought revenge and killed Amnon. Amnon could have become the next king, but he died because of the advice of a friend. Be careful those you keep around you. Told you point number one is you watch your circle. Be careful. Because um, the only reason why Jonadab did what he did was that Jonadab was not looking for Amnon's best interest. Jonadab realized that if Amnon is the firstborn, the throne will be his one day. If I'm able to be in his good books and help him to get the things that he wants, legitimate or not, because I will be in his good books, 
When he becomes king, I might get some connection. And sometimes that is why your friends give you the bad advice they give you. They think they are not doing it for your good. They are doing it for their good. So there's a married man chasing after you, a young lady. Your, your friend, instead of advising you to tell you that this is wrong, they push you to go ahead. Oh, he will sort your bills out. He will do this. It is because when you get some, they will get some windfall. It is not for your interest. So when one day the, 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 the wife of that man gets angry and attacks you, he, your friend is in the house relaxing. But you are the one who is being faced with those attacks. Watch your circles. Point number two, watch your appetites. Watch your appetites. As human beings, one of the things that we must understand is that there will always be a time where you are hungry. And when I speak of hunger, I'm not just speaking about um, uh, uh, physical hunger. I'm using hunger metaphorically. When I speak about hunger, I'm talking about desires of your flesh, desires that you have. There will always be a time where you would have some desires. There will always be a time where you will be hungry. What you need to watch out for and what you need to guard and watch out for, pay close attention to us. What is God's legitimate means for the satisfaction of this desire? What is God's legitimate means for the satisfaction of this desire? So you might desire to have money. God's legitimate means for the satisfaction of that desire is that you must work. Are we together? You might desire to be rich, then get to work. Your, your body might be desiring sex. God's legitimate means for the satisfaction of that desire is in the confines of a heterosexual male and female marriage. Watch how I pick my words carefully. Not just any marriage. It is in the confines of heterosexual, male at birth, female at birth, marriage. Are we together? That is God's legitimate means for the satisfaction of those desires. When the enemy wants to get you he comes at your desires. He comes at your appetites. There are three major firstborns in the Bible. Two missed it, one saved us. The, the first one is Adam. How did Adam fall? Appetite, desires. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, desirable to make one wise. He took and ate and gave the husband. God had always wanted man to come to the knowledge of good and evil. But God's desire, God's avenue, the legitimate avenue for man to come to the place of knowledge and good and evil was by relationship with God. When we get to know him, as we relate to God, God tells us what is good and what is evil. But humanity bypassed the process when Adam ate of that fruit. He ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is why till today, human beings want to define for themselves what is good and evil. Every now and then, I, 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 you see some pastor on social media, or you see something online where a man of God is apologizing for what the Bible says. That, oh, I wish uh, um, God would put some things in between because now we know more about homosexuality and we know more about these things than we did back then. You see, the fact that you know more 
back then does not mean that God knew less back then. So if God said it back then, and you knew less, and now you know more, God's word still holds power over yours. Because God is perfect. His knowledge, God, you see, when we say God is perfect, it means that we don't add anything to improve God. And you can't take anything out of God to make him worse. As for God, his ways are perfect. One of the biggest challenges I have as a pastor, especially in this part of the world, is being able to speak the truth. But I always tell my wife that, Come with me, I've been called to say something. And the Bible says that for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. All we can do is speak the truth. As human beings, if you are going to partake in the blessing and not fall short of the grace of God, you must watch your appetites. See, we see another person like Esau. Esau's story is what we are reading. This guy came from the field. He says, oh, I am hungry, I am dying. I need to eat. Imagine, the most important blessing in the world at the time was sold for a pot of lentils, beans, and, and see. The most important thing in the world at the time, the blessing of Abraham was sold for a pot of stew. Somebody say, oh, ah, he sold now sense at all. But you are doing the same thing. You are trading destinies on the bed of fornication. You are trading destinies on the bed of sin. On the bed of illegitimate desires. Almost, hey, Pastor, you're coming for us hard. It's like that. We see Amnon. Amnon traded legitimate access to the throne by illegitimate desires. He wanted to have a sister. Nothing would stop him. Nothing. You know the foolish thing about hunger and those big appetites? When you satisfy them, eh, now you, you look stupid. When you, you, you bypass God's avenue and you go and satisfy, the, the woman that Amnon was dying over, that if I don't have her, I will die. Something will happen to me. The moment he finished sleeping with her, he threw her out of the house. The Bible says, and he despised her. I mean, one of the, the things I, I, I take particular attention to, I read and study the impact of pornography on young people. And when you read our people who struggle with chronic masturbation by, as a result of uh, pornography, they always tell you, by the time they are done, they feel stupid. They feel empty. It doesn't, it promises a big high. And when you are done, it's like, that is what the devil does to us. He lets us trade important things on the bed of hunger and appetite. But there is a firstborn who did not give in? His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus had, in uh, Luke chapter 4, he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And the Bible says he was hungry. He hungered. And the first person to come to Jesus when he was hungry was the devil. He says, if you are indeed the son of God, turn these stones into bread and eat. I mean, think about it. He is hungry. He has the power he has the power to turn stones into bread. But Jesus' answer sets the template for us in the days when we are hungry. It says, man shall not live by bread alone. What it means is that we do not live by our desires only. 
We are not people who are moved by desires. We are not human. We are not human beings. The one thing that distinguishes us from the rest of creation is that we are not creatures of appetite and instinct. When dogs feel like having sex, they do. When every other animal feels like it, they do. When human beings feel like it, God has given us the power for restraint. Are we together? You don't do anything. Jesus said, a man shall not live by bread alone. We don't live on our appetites alone. Because, you see, it is easy to curb your appetites when you don't have the power to do so. That is why when you have power is when the devil comes after you the most. Because, you see, if Jesus did not have the power to turn stones into bread, he would not have asked him. One day, God is going to bless you. One day, God is going to raise you to the place of power. He's going to raise you to the place of prominence. Maybe you might have a secretary working in your office. Now you have the power to turn that stone into bread. You can turn that secretary into your bedmate. You can turn that lady into some, somebody else. You can turn somebody who is a friend into uh, your, your side piece. right? And now that you have that power, that is when he'll come after you. Because now your appetites must be checked. He says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. So, because he has overcome, and he is now our example, we too can overcome. When the enemy comes after your appetite, you should be able to say with Jesus that we don't live by bread alone. Don't sell your birthright. Number three. So the, the first one was, watch your circle. Number two is, watch your appetite. Let me add another point to watch your appetite. Be careful who feeds you when you're hungry. Be careful who feeds you. Because somebody may be acting in your best interest, but they are actually leading you to the point of hell. Quick distraction. What did the enemy do to Eve? He came as if he was in Eve's best interest. Did God really say that you should not eat of this tree? For the day that God, he says, for God knows the most important thing in the world. Some of us don't value our Christianity. You see, for you a Christian, the most important thing in this world. So if you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, that is causing you and bringing a division between your relationship with God, what must go is not your Christianity, it's the person. Because, you see, some of us, we are, we are trying hard to juggle those things. It should be a conversation that should not even start. The moment you realize that somebody around you, something around you is compromising your values, your relationship with God, that thing must go immediately. You must watch your value system. Even when you are taking jobs, your Christianity must be at the forefront of the jobs you take. You are offered a job, you are in a job, and you realize that consistently you are being allowed to break some of your values and things are not ethical. That is the time to leave. Does it mean that you'll be unemployed for a while? Yes. Does that mean that you'll be hungry for a bit? Yes. But is it a good thing to do? Yes. Are we together? God never promised an easy road with working with him. But he promised that it will be good for you. 
You must watch our value systems. Some of you, your value systems are, are, are the ones that your friends have given you. Value system that the world has placed on you. The value system of the world now is do what makes you happy. So we, we, we value, we, we mark importance on its ability to make us happy. So because of happiness, people are living good marriages. Because of happiness, people are living things that God has destined for them. Let me tell you the truth. I've not been married long. I've been married for five, uh, four years going on five. And what I can tell you is that even though it is good for you, it is not easy. And it will not always make you happy. But it is good. And that is, that is where we must get to as believers. Where Christ is the most important thing. What Christ says. Sometimes you are speaking to believers and you are, you are, they are going through a trouble and you are quoting the scripture and you say, mm, Pastor, you, do, you like the Bible too much. Put the Bible aside for a while and, 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 and focus on what? If we put the Bible aside, what should we focus on? The word of God is more important than your feelings. It's more important than whether or not you will be cancelled or you will be accepted. Today, everybody wants to be accepted by the culture. Everybody wants to be accepted by people to the detriment of our relationship of, with God, to the detriment of our right standing with God. No. There has been a shift in our values, and we must reclaim our value systems. What do you value? Do you value your walk with God? The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And he sold all that he had and went and bought that field. He sold all that he had. You see, you know the problem with Jacob and Esau? Esau had something. He did not see the value in it. Jacob did not have it, but he saw the importance of it. Jacob saw the value in it. Even though he used crooked means to get it. We do not, I do not encourage what jo Jacob did. But Jacob saw that Esau, I, I, I'm pretty sure that every now and then, maybe whilst they were growing up and they were playing and they were walking around in the field, Isaac would be telling them about how his father blessed uh, their grandfather and he has blessed him and that the blessing will go to um, Esau. But Esau, Esau did not see the importance of it. Every time his father says he doesn't see the importance of it, he doesn't care. He says, because you are my firstborn, you get this blessing. Because you are my firstborn, you get this blessing. All this while Jacob was listening. He's like, I wish I could find a way to get this blessing. I wish I was the one. Because this is my brother. Look at him. He doesn't care. He's just jumping, playing around. And you can tell that was the case because when push came to shove, he sold it for a pot of stew. I can, you see, I, I may not know you personally, but if I see some of your choices and I see some of the decisions you make, I can tell you don't value your work with God. Just by looking at who your friends are, I can tell you you don't value your work with God. Because if you valued going to heaven, you valued your relationship with God, some people, they would live your life immediately. I remember 2010, July, June, 4th of July, 2010. I've told some of you this story before, where I had an encounter with Jesus Christ in my room. When I came out of that encounter, I took my phone. 
a Motorola, uh, was it V3 or something? I broke, it was a flip phone. I broke the phone into two. I changed my phone number. And from that day, all the people who were my friends did not know how to contact me. I started a new list because I knew intrinsically that if I am to walk with God, I am to go on this journey, these people cannot come along with me. It's either they draw me back or they draw, I draw them along. And at that point in time, I did not have the capacity to draw them along. So let me focus on me first. I got to put me first. Are we together? And sometimes that's what you have to do. Because in as much as God has called you to win souls, your soul matters to him first. Are we together? Pay attention to your value system. From today, the God must come first in everything. And that is the grid. See, you must, you must live life according to a certain grid. Where God is the first on the grid. Anything, any decision, any choice, who you marry, where you work, any important decision, you must run it through that grid first. Because if you do not take it, you will end up like Esau. You know, in the scripture in Hebrews, when he was speaking about Esau, he used two terms. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. You see, if you look at it on the surface level, we don't see Esau fornicating here. Surface level. If you look at it, Esau, Esau is not, was not a profane person like you and I know profane people to be. But why does he use those two words to describe what Esau did? Or to describe who Esau was because of what Esau did? See, whenever we fornicate, or you fornicate, or anyone fornicates, what you're trying to do is, you have taken something important that God has given us. Our, our sexuality as human beings is holy. It's, it is not just anything. Let me find a way to bring it up. Human beings are made in the image and the likeness of God. And God has designed our sexuality as the means of propagating his image. So whenever we engage in that activity without applying the necessary meaning and doing it in the right context, we are degrading something holy. And that is why God has a problem with it. Are we together? And that is why God had a problem with Esau. Because the blessing was the most important thing in the world at the time. And Esau sold it for nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, don't sell yourself for nothing. For those of you who are single and not married, don't sell yourself for nothing. Your body is the temple of God in whom the spirit of God dwells. Your body is going to be the means where God uses to bring about other images. You don't engage in that activity for nothing. God has defined it and designed that it is in the context and the confines of a committed covenant relationship called marriage. We don't treat it anyhow. Then he says, Esau was a profane person. The reason why he describes him as that, see, the 
opposite of holiness is not sin. The opposite of holiness is profanity. Where you treat important things as though they are not important. They are just common. And that's why some, some of us, God has a problem with us. Maybe you look at yourself, I mean, I'm not sinning, I'm not doing anything. But you treat the things of God anyhow. And when you do that, the Bible says that just like Esau fell short of the blessing. Because the Bible says that, for we know that when he wanted to receive the blessing, he was not able to, even though he sought after it with tears, he was not able to undo what had been done. For God, he will have mercy on you if you, if you repent today. But there is going to come a time. You see, the point of the scripture is, there is going to come a time, a day of reckoning, where you would want to partake in the benefit of the blessings of Christ. But because of your lifestyle here and now, you are falling short of the ability to partake of the grace of God. And that's why the Bible says in that day, there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. Don't be an Esau. Don't sell the birthright. Our birthright is Jesus Christ. Our relationship with him. Guard that. Let that be the most precious things in your life. Even if you don't have money, you have Jesus. If you don't have a job, you have Jesus. Don't compromise. Don't ever sell anything. Don't, don't ever sell your birthright for any other thing. Your work with God, your relationship with God, it should come first. The most important thing in your life. Today, I want you to look in your heart. And begin to rearrange your values. Begin to check them. Some of you chilling with friends, enjoying life. YOLO, we only live once. Uh, that, 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 that is your anthem for life. You're, you're on your way to become an Esau. Hmm. Number one, I said we should watch our circles. Watch those who are around you when you are weary. You see, so the, when I, whenever I read this Jacob and Esau story, I'm sad. Sometimes I just, I just become very sad. I'm sad not, not even because that Esau played the fool and he did not think about his birthright. Sometimes, you see, when you are in your deepest need and in your crisis moment, you need a friend that can understand that, see, you are asking for this, but you don't need it. But Jacob did not do that for his brother. That's why, whilst your senses are around you, and you are not being compromised by hunger and tiredness, this is the time to select those you keep around you. So that when you are weak, they can hold you up. Not when you are weak, they drag you on the floor into sin and death. They can bear you up. And you need to watch your appetite. See, you won't die. That was the problem with Esau. Esau thought he was going to die if he did not eat in the moment. I mean, if he waited a little bit, his mother was around. He could have gone to his mother and the mother would have made food for him. Because they were still living with their parents at the time. And they'd be like, if I don't have this girl, if I don't do this thing, pastor, you don't understand, it's doing me something. You won't die. 
say I won't die. See, if you don't fulfill those appetites, you won't die. The Bible says there is no temptation that has befallen you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. In that, in that temptation, he's able to provide a way of escape. God will make a way for you. into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Sometimes when you talk to believers and you're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ and how the Bible says he will come like a thief in the night, people are scared. Why are you afraid? I mean, if Christ comes today, this will be the most joyous day in my life. Can you imagine? I don't have to go to work on Monday. We rest from all our labor. Christ is coming. We can only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God if we are standing in the grace. If we have not fallen short of the grace of God. So what do we do in the now? We hold our birthright. Who is Christ Jesus? We hold him close. some people in your inner circle that must move far out and there are people that have been on the out that because they gave you some good advice and you got angry at them you have to bring them in father we ask for strength 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 to endure Father, 
Bible says in the book of Hebrews 13, it says, For we have need of endurance. It says, For we have need of endurance. That after we have endured, we will receive the promise. Sometimes it might come as a strong passing moment of anger. But when we endure, we shall receive the promise. Pray that we'll come to a point where we would understand that we do not live by our desires alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of our Lord. We thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you. That in Christ Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn among many brethren. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have access to the blessing. That we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Father, we thank you. We pray, O oh Lord, for strength to keep on in this journey. That, Father, we will not trade anything for our position in Christ. Father, I come against any persuasion and any influence from the pits of hell. That, Father, any persuasion that will cause us and hinder our running in you, our walk in you, come against it in the name of Jesus. Father, I silence every evil voice in the lives of your people. Any agent of the enemy that is hiding amongst their friends. Father, I come and I silence his voice in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will send good counselors. That you will send them good friends. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.